Six months ago, who would have ever dreamed that toilet paper would be the hottest commodity or one of the hottest commodities in the United States? Or hand sanitizer. Everybody's a germaphobe now. Everybody is seeking to, well, not everybody, but a lot of people are seeking to control and hoard and protect during this time. There's a lot of panic buying going on and the things that I've read, people, people get scared and so they feel a sense of, of a lack of control. So in the places that they can exhibit control, they go overboard. Thus, we have a hard time finding things like toilet paper right now. The problem is fear. The problem is anxiety. It manifests itself in panic buying, in an attempt for control, in other ways that are harmful to self and to community. We have a better answer in Scripture than seeking personal control. We're not just promoting whistling in the dark and acting like nothing, nothing is going on. We have a, a, a pattern of godliness put forth in Philippians 4. We have instruction on anxiety and faith and how to overcome our fear, how to grow in walking in the peace and joy that the Lord has given us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with the Word of God, you know that in Ephesians 4, we see the pattern of growing in godliness, which is both putting off sinful things, things that are not like Jesus, and putting on righteous things and things that look more like Jesus. So growing in grace is a matter of, of putting off certain things and putting on other things. And we see that in the text I want us to look at today in Ephesians in Philippians 4, a putting off of fear and worry and anxiety, a putting on of joy and peace and prayer and faithfulness. And so as we look at this text in Philippians 4, 4 through 9, we're seeking to put on those Christ-like traits and put off the other traits that don't look like Christ. The main thing I want us to take away as we look quickly at this text this morning the main point is that we are to fight anxiety with rejoicing, prayer, truth, and faithfulness. Knowing that these means, it is through these means that God will grow us in faith and produce in us his peace. So look, look back at the text with me and look first at fighting anxiety with rejoicing and prayer. In verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. We know that when things are repeated in Scripture, that's one way that we, we have emphasis. It's being emphasized that we are to rejoice in the Lord. We are to replace our anxiety with worship. We are to be, have a rejoicing that flows not from our circumstances, but from a deep contentment, a deep-seated joy and contentment in our God that flows out of trusting Him. It's, it, if you're watching this, if you're reading it in Scripture, and I would encourage you to have your Bibles and be looking into Scripture as we, as we read it and preach it and, and look into it this morning. But he says to rejoice in the Lord most of the time. No, if you're reading your scripture, rejoice in the Lord always. And this is a present command. It means be always joyful, always joyful in your God. Delight in him at every moment. 
Be joyful in our God. And the, see, sometimes we think like like um, other things we see in Scripture that this this is unreasonable, that we can't do this, that we can't be always joyful. But I'm telling you, your God is big enough. His word is rich enough. The gospel is big enough for us to walk even in the midst of the deepest trial with an abiding and growing joy in the Lord. See, our rejoicing, this rejoicing that Paul is calling us to is a rejoicing in something outside of ourselves and our circumstances. It's, it's calling us to focus outside of ourself and outside of our circumstances because he says rejoice in the Lord. And place our circumstances in the context of what we know about our God. To see that he really is still sovereign. Jesus is still on the throne. He is still in control. God promises to work all things together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Deep-seated contentment in God that manifests itself in rejoicing in God flows from a trust in Him and His Word. So trust in your God. Rest in your God, even in the midst of this trial. And rejoice in your God. Not some sort of fake, ginned-up rejoicing, but a true rejoicing that flows from the heart because your God is enough. Jesus is enough. So again, we have a repeat, repeated word here, rejoice for emphasis. It's a present tense command, which continue, it means not just one time rejoicing or not just an occasional rejoicing to get yourself to feel better, but a continual rejoicing in the Lord. And it says here in verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Or some of your translations may say gentleness. If we're really rested in God, if we're really trusting in him and we're really rejoicing in him, his power, his spirit, his word will enable us to not be frantic and, and self-protective and mean, but to be gentle and helpful and patient, even in the midst of great trials. So this reasonableness here, this word that that a result, one of the outpourings of our rejoicing, uh, us being reasonable, this means a personal disposition that seeks what is best for everyone and not just for oneself. What A.T. Robertson calls a sweet reasonableness. A sweet reasonableness. A gentleness that flows from a trust in God and that trust is fueling worship so that we have a God-centered heart. And we'll see this more in this text, but truly what, what we're being called to here is a God-centered life. A God-centered heart that manifests itself in a God-centered life. And we know that we're not glorified yet, so we're being called to grow in this and we're being given, we'll be given some means to grow in this, in this text. So we should be rejoicing in our God and that should produce in us a lot of things, one of which is a sweet reasonableness or a gentleness so that we're not looking out for just for our own selves, but for those around us. And then there's a little note of comfort here. The Lord is at hand. 
Yes, He is He is reigning now and He is coming again. But He is near to us. He is with us. He is for us. And so we can rest and trust and know that comforting fact. The Lord is at hand. Some, some translations say the Lord is near. He is near to you. He knows what you're going through. He is closer than the closest friend or the closest relative. In fact, He dwells in us by His Spirit and is comforting us in the midst of this trial. So rejoice and be reasonable and rest in the knowledge that your God is near. So first we fight anxiety with rejoicing and next we fight it with prayer. Look, in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Stop. Think about that. This is a continual command as well. Stop being anxious. Don't let anything make you anxious, fearful, worried. Remember, we, we, we're drawing that, that rejoicing, that, that, that celebration, that rest in the midst of our trial from a focus on our God, not on ourself and our circumstances. And in the salvation that we have in Christ, we have everything we need not to be anxious. And I, I just want to relate to you in one sense. One of, one of the things that has been a struggle for me as I've come to faith in Christ and grown in grace in Christ is worry and battling worry and not worrying. But see, when I'm worrying, I'm not looking at my God. I'm looking at me and I'm looking at my circumstances and I'm making up all these things in my mind that, that are going to happen that 99.9% .9 of the time never happen. And then I'm worrying. So if it tests me, right? So I know that when I'm worrying, I've gotten my eyes off the Lord. But I'm actually commanded to be not let anything make me anxious. And what helps me when I am anxious is to refocus and refocus on my God and His love and His grace and His sovereignty. And we'll talk more about that. The fact that all of my days were written down before there was one. Psalm 139. That all of whoever I'm worried about's days were written down before there was one. That He is in control. He has given His Son for me. He will accomplish all of His purpose in me and those around me. He is king and I am not so I can rest. See, God is big enough and the gospel is big enough. And he says to us, don't be anxious. Stop being anxious. Do not let anything. Now watch this in this text. Do not be anxious about anything. Being anxious is to have an anxious, have an anxious concern based on an apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. I've suffered many misfortunes in my life that never happened because I got my eyes off God, made up my own story, and drove myself crazy. I think it was Mark Twain that said, that said uh, had many tragedies in his life, most of which never happened. He related. Do not interpret life as though there is no God. 
Do not be a practical atheist. Do not look just at your circumstances and your own reason. And that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. But as we keep our eyes fixed on our God and on His grace in Christ, as we look to Him through His Word, not through our feelings, not through our circumstances, not through rumors that are spreading around, but we look to our God through His Word, then we have the recipe for peace in our life. So do not interpret life as though there is no God. Remember, He is on the throne. And rejoice in Him and trust that He will work even this. And every other trial that He takes you through for His glory and your good. Romans chapter 8. I encourage you to go read Romans 8, 28 in context. I'll refer to a lot of scriptures that we don't put up on the screen this morning. But if you're taking notes, write them down and go back and meditate on these texts like Romans 8, like Psalm 139, and like others we will mention. Do not <clears throat> be anxious about anything. And this one, if we're just backing off, we're just thinking about our own resources, if we're just looking at it without faith, like rejoice always, like pray continually, we will say, this is not reasonable. How can we never be anxious about anything? But you can grow in it. Remember, we're growing in grace. We're not glorified yet. God brings us to faith and He forgives us of our sins because of Christ and He empowers us by His Spirit and gives us His Word so that we'll be continually putting off and putting on. Putting off everything that is not like Christ and is sinful. Putting on everything that is like Christ. So we can grow in this grace of not being anxious if we'll do it God's way. And so He's told us to rejoice always. He's told us that we're to be reasonable in the midst of trouble. Remember, Paul is in jail when he's writing this. He's in prison. And he's writing to a people who are suffering and he's pointing them to Christ and to the joy and rejoicing that is theirs in Christ, been purchased for them by Christ if they will only look to Him through His Word. Look to your God through His Word. Trust and rest in Him. Do not be anxious. Trust that He will supply all of your needs. Look at this. Do not be anxious about anything. There's a contrast. Let nothing make you anxious, but in everything. In everything. In everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God in everything. Instead of being anxious, we're to pray. And we're to pray to our God who we know is on the throne. Run into the throne room because our Father is there and pour out our hearts to Him. This again is a present command. We're to always be people of prayer. Not people of anxiety, but people of prayer. People of worship. He says, in, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Piling up words again, we'll see that later. But we're to replace our anxiety with prayer at this part. 
We're to ask with urgency based on a need. We're to be particular in our prayers. We're to make our request to God. Peter says, cast your cares on the Lord before, because He cares for you. See, one of the ways that we grow in faith and grow in grace is we're in a hard time and, and we're, we're striving to remember who our God is and, and not. And so we, we, we lift up our prayers to God and, and we see Him answer those prayers. And we grow in grace. So in this part, not only do we replace anxiety with rejoicing, we're to replace our anxiety with prayer. Devoted prayer, continual prayer in everything by prayer and supplication in particular. Now watch this with thanksgiving. A note of our prayers whenever we pray should be thanksgiving. Ephesians 4.20 says give thanks for the things that you enjoy. Well, that's part of it, but that's not all of it, right? Look at it. This stresses us. Give thanks for everything. I want to ask you, have you given thanks for the coronavirus? Uh, it convicts me. It might as well convict you. I've had to live with this all week. Have you given thanks for the coronavirus and what it's doing in your life? And everything else, whatever trial you're going through, we're good at giving thanks for things that put excitement in our hearts and things we've wanted and we finally got. What about the things we don't want? What about the things we don't understand? What about the things that don't seem good to us? What about the things that if we were in charge, we wouldn't have happened? There's an old anonymous quote that is, says, if you give me God's power, you would see how much I would change. But if you gave me his wisdom too, you would see how I left everything the same. God's plan is perfect. He is with us. He is accomplishing his purposes through everything he brings into our lives. And nothing is by happenstance or chance or outside. God never, God never says, ooh, I didn't see that coming. I heard a preacher say one time, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? There's not a maverick molecule in the universe, R.C. Sproul. Everything has a purpose and accomplishes its purpose, which is the glory of God in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the good of His people. Have you given thanks this morning since it raised up for the coronavirus? For some of the freedoms that it's taken away. For the way that it's kind of made us huddle in smaller groups and as families. Are you chomping at the bit and frustrated and just want to get out from under it? Or are you trusting God in the midst of it? See, these are all questions I'm asking myself as I ask you. Because God, one question we are always getting in one form or another is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? So our prayers are to be continual. We're to always be praying. The antidote given for anxiety here, one aspect of it is to be never anxious, but always praying, always in the throne room, continual attitude of prayer. We don't have to always be on our knees, but lifting up our, these things to our God and placing him in the context of who he is and rejoicing in him and thanking him for it and just 
statements of faith like, I don't see how this is good and I don't see how you'll use it for good. But I trust you. I trust you. I rest in you. Would you would you be able to confess? Would it be true that you are a thankful person? Would people around you say that in the midst of this trial, you're thankful? And that you're you're seeing this as in the in the context of God's sovereignty and and submitting to him much like our Lord Jesus Christ. Not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I am willing to be inconvenienced by this in order to love you well, to love neighbor well, to love my church well. And I am thankful for it. And I know that this is going to be used by you to make me more like Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Again, I know these words. We could do a whole series on each of these words, but I want to give you the main, the main contours this morning. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. This is not an exhaustive list of, of, of what this would look like. Adoration of God, confession of sin. You know, intercession for others, supplication for our needs. Are we people of rejoicing? Because we're people of prayer. One of the things I hope this this trial does in my own life and in our life as a church and in the lives of whoever's watching this live stream and, and is that it makes us more People of prayer. One of the things in Acts 2 that we saw when we went through that text in 42 was that the early church was a people of prayer. People devoted to prayer. And I'm telling you, the more time we're spending in prayer, the more our hearts are in an attitude of prayer, the more at peace they're going to be in our God, more rejoicing that's going to manifest. And look at the promise. There's a promise at the end of this particular section. And I want to show you how it ties together with the following section when we get there. But it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if we are really seeking God and looking to him and laying out requests before his throne and being thankful for everything, he's going to be at work in us through that producing his peace. And it, the word literally says that the peace of God will guard our hearts. It will garrison our hearts like a prison guard watching over a soldier. You know, there's a there's a real sense of guarding and protecting there. But it doesn't it's not just see Christianity is not a bunch of magic potions. I, I mean, I, I want when I was first and I told you I struggled with anxiety the way I would use this verse um, early on in my Christian life, and, and hopefully I'm growing away from that. But the way I would use this verse is I would look, I would just pull this verse out of context and just look straight at verse 6 and say, okay, it says, be anxious about nothing, but I'm anxious. So in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Okay, and he promises peace. So what I would do was back off of just this one text and say, God, I'm anxious, take away my anxiety. And then I would look inside myself to see if I was still anxious. And think, well, that didn't work. That's not what this verse is teaching. It's a growing in resting in 
our God. And as we remember, they're, they're not just one shot commands. They're continual commands. They're repeated action, continual action commands that the habit of my life is to be resisting anxiety with prayer. And if I'm if reasonableness is coming out and rejoices, rejoicing is coming out, then then the, then it's working. But to have a life of prayer and in those moments when I am anxious to to look to my God and to remember who he is and to trust in him and lay my concerns before him in the context of his sovereignty. In other words, to get my eyes off myself. And my situation and on to my God. See, we want quick fixes in the Christian life. We want one prayer glorification. God, help me to never worry. Boom, he did that. Free from that, never have to struggle with that again. Growing in grace requires devotion, requires focus, requires getting our eyes and our hearts, pardon me, off of ourselves. And on to our God. And as we are nestled up in, in his grace, He will produce in us peace that we're growing in and that passes understanding. So the peace of God through the means that He prescribes, His Word, worship, prayer, comes into our hearts as we focus on Him and remember who He is and lay our needs at His feet. God is our great physician He diagnoses our problem, which is anxiety, fear, and worry. And he prescribes the cure, which in this section, he highlights rejoicing in who he is for us and drawing near in faith with our request. So don't look at it as a magic potion, but look at it as a a lifestyle. A a lifestyle to which we are to grow of God-centeredness, of looking to our God, of interpreting everything in light of who He is and what His Word says, of believing it and resting there. So we fight anxiety first here through uh, rejoicing and through prayer. Look at the next part of the text. And these are connected. So one of the things I want you to do is keep verses in context. We don't just yank verse 6 out and pray a magic potion and everything's fixed. We keep it in context so that we see how it relates to all of the other aspects, the ways that this text will help us fight our anxiety. So we, we fight with rejoicing in prayer, but we also fight with theology and faithfulness. Look at verse 8. Fighting with theology. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Notice, if we're going to think about these things, we have to take our minds off of the other things, which are, which are our worries and our made-up story and all of this stuff. See, where he, he, he gives us a lot of words here, which I'm not going to jump and deal with each individual word, but these are six words that picture Christian ideals. That picture focusing on our God and who He is and what He's given through His Word. 
God's Spirit doesn't work apart from His Word. So we have to be nurtured in, growing in, having His Word hidden in our hearts so that we can be comforted as the Spirit applies that Word. So it makes sense that the more Word we know, the more comfort we're going to have. So growing the grace of knowing God's Word. But here, these Christian ideals, these virtues that we are to to focus on, he says, you know, put off thinking about things that are not true and focus on what is true in the Word. You know, if you watch the news, a lot of times, if you spend too much time watching the news during, I mean, we're used to hurricanes and you get news fatigue around here. Just, you just want to watch something else, right? But even around this virus, if, if you're just watching whatever news outlet you like and that's what you're watching all the time, there's not going to be much rejoicing. There's not going to be a whole lot of prayer. There's going to be a whole lot of anxiety because all you're being focused on is the problem is the bad news. And a lot of it is spun. So it's not true. It's not honorable. It's not just. It's not pure. It's not loving. I'm not saying nobody's trustworthy and you can't get good information from any of the news outlets. But I'm saying you do need to to, to be wary of what you're consuming and, and not be consuming that all the time to the exclusion of consuming God's Word. So see, if we're not, if we're going to be people of rejoicing and not anxiety, we, we need to be people of prayer. That takes time. That takes focus, right? And we're to be people who focus on what's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. He says, think about these things. If we're to let nothing make us anxious and in everything be praying, we're to be focused on these things, which really this is just a, a it's representing knowing God's word. And focusing there, letting that determine your reality and putting everything else in its context. You need truth in your mind instead of falsehood and what is honorable and on down the list. Jesus is all of these things. His word puts forth for us all of these things. Truth, being true, being honorable, being just, being pure, being lovely. Representing filling our minds with things that will inspire the worship of God. Filling our minds with things that inspire that rejoicing we were talking about. Filling our minds with truth, with theology, with sound words, Paul says, about his word. So that our main focus is on what's true. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, but everyone who trusts in me has eternal life. Focus on what is true, what is honorable, what is just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise through the Word of God, filling your mind having your minds transformed, <laughs> Romans 12. See, we have, we have to put off the worrisome thoughts with thinking God's thoughts after Him. If we're not going to worry, we have to have something else to focus on and something that puts this trial, this danger, this, this thing that is going to ruin our lives, this is finally it, that puts that into the context of who our God is. So that we can refocus and recalibrate 
on the truth of the word of God. Recalibrate on who our God is for us. Recalibrate on the fact that he has sacrificed his son for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to be open with you for a second and just tell you that if you are not a Christian, if you are not trusting in Jesus, not much I say this morning is going to comfort you. Because you are your own God and you are going your own way and that is a recipe for disaster. Everything has to line up with you and what you think. But I want to point you to the cross this morning and I want to do it in this section. I want to point you to Christ. I want to point you to salvation. I want to point you to be set free from yourself and your sin, and the wrath that is due your sin. Because I want to ask you, and and see, the cross tells us where we stand. How do you interpret the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you interpret Christ dying on that cross? Because I have to tell you, from a sinner who knows their sin and their need of mercy, and that that mercy is available through faith in that, that pure and spotless, unblemished Lamb, the Son of God who was sacrificed for us, For those who need salvation and know it, that cross is a beautiful thing. What is more true? What is more honorable? What is more just? What is more pure? What is more lovely? What is more commendable? What is more excellent? What is more worthy of praise than Jesus on the cross dying for the sins of His people to reconcile us to God? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day. See, Jesus was raised from the grave. He didn't go into the grave and stay. Yes, because He was God and man, He could die for His people's sin on the cross. He could could drink the cup of God's righteous wrath, do our sin dry, and He could say before He left the cross, it is finished. And we can know that our sin is dealt with, that we have reconciliation with a holy God, that we have eternal life, that this is not all there is. We have a full and free forgiveness, cleansing from our sin through faith in, through trusting in, through resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through repentance and faith, we have to turn from ourself and our sin and going our own way to Receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting and resting in Him. Humility comes before salvation because we have to trust in another. But I'm telling you, we need to dwell on who our God is and we need to dwell on what He's done for us and we need to see everything through His grace demonstrated and manifested on the cross where justice and mercy meet, where God's wrath was satisfied by a spotless sacrifice because the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the one who came to fix what Adam had broken, who provides a perfect righteousness to us through faith, He lived and fulfilled all righteousness who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. As horrible as the physical suffering was, it was nothing, nothing compared to bearing the wrath of God for our sin. And he finished it on the cross and he went 
into the grave. But He went through the grave and He ascended. He was raised the third day and He ascended into heaven. And He is on the throne now reigning over this coronavirus and everything else in this life to take His Gospel to the ends of the earth and bring all of His children home. Reconciled. Saved. Redeemed in Christ. Nothing is more beautiful, more worthy, more needed than our Savior and His salvation and His reconciliation of His people on the cross. If you reject Him, you will answer to God for your sin by yourself. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All deserve death and that death is both a spiritual and a physical death it's not just physical death but it is then paying answering justice for our sins you don't want to do that alone turn and trust in jesus today see the answer to our anxiety is a focus on our god father son and holy spirit trinity salvation right to know Him, to know Him through His Word, to know His grace and rest in His love, to trust Him and to cry out to Him and to wait on Him in faith. See, what I wasn't doing earlier in my life when I would use prayer as sort of a magic potion, I wasn't bringing all of the other things into it. I was just, God set me free from this. Oops, He didn't do it. No, I wasn't waiting on the Lord. I wasn't waiting in faith. I wasn't trusting Him. So look, look at this text here. After saying that, He calls us to faithfulness. So we, we also fight anxiety with faithfulness. Look what Paul says. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in Me, practice these things. What you have... Follow Me as I follow Christ is the way He said it in another place. You know, and that's a high calling. Think about that. Think about the devotion to Christ. Think about being able to say to those around you what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Wow, that's a weighty calling for any of us. Fathers, you should be able to say that to your children. Mothers, you should be able to say that to your children and to your spouse. What you've seen in me, follow. As Christians, that's going to include faithfulness and repentance. So we need to be clear and open and available about all of those things so that our kids don't think we're perfect or you know, our spouse knows we're not perfect. Follow me as I follow Christ. Pastors, that's a high calling, right? We're to example Christ-likeness and lead so that people can follow. But see this, Paul calls as part of our being freed from anxiety, he also is calling the church to faithfulness, to faithfully following Jesus, to what he calls in Romans 1.5, the obedience of faith or the obedience that flows from faith, joyful obedience to our God. Devotion to our God that is expressed in the life. I mean, when people look at us, do they see Christians? Or do they just see people trying to be good? Follow, following Jesus through the trials. Walking in His wisdom. 
honoring and loving his name. But he's obedience is a part of it, putting what we call putting shoe leather on our faith. Practical application of our faith, walking in the truths of our God because we love and trust him because of what he's done for us in his son. So that we when, when we're anxious, we 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 look to him and remember who he is and lay our requests out before him so that we can rejoice in him even in the midst of our trials. And we think about him and his truth <clears throat> and it sets our hearts at peace. And we walk as lights in the midst of a crooked generation. None of us are perfect. Only Christ is perfect. But his gospel is this big. And he has the power to accomplish all of these things in our life if we submit to him. Forgiveness for every time we failed to pray. For all of our failure to be in his word and to be praying to him and to be reasonable with others because of our faith in him and our rejoicing in him. There's a throne of grace to which you can run and be forgiven and walk in patience and rejoicing and faith and prayer and Growing in grace through the word, hiding the word in your heart and putting it into practice. Remember, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And now look, this section finishes with a promise as well. He says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Back up in verse seven, he said the peace of God. See how these two sections connect? The peace of God will be yours and it will guard your heart. And at the end of this section, the God of peace is not saying two different things. He's saying the same thing two different ways. And that connects these two sections together so that we see a full formula for fighting our anxiety. And remember, and this is what's one of the things that's calling us to struggle right now a little bit because we're not sufficient for these things on our own. So we do them in community. We need community. We'll never be able to reproduce over the Internet what we have in community. In worship. But we can preserve some connection. We can preserve feeding upon the word and doing it together as we do things like live streams and and group chats and Zoom and how, whatever tools that we use. And I encourage you to take advantage of those so that we walk together in faithfulness and we walk trusting and knowing that the God of peace is with us. And listen, if I know that the God of peace is with me, that in itself produces the peace of God in my heart. See, God has ordained means through which we deal with our anxiety. It's not just one of these. It's many and they're, they're multifaceted. But the ones highlighted in this text are we fight our anxiety with rejoicing in Him. We fight our anxiety with prayer to Him. We fight our anxiety with sound theology from His Word. We fight our anxiety with walking, following Jesus. Walking after him. So you see the connection that the God of peace is with us and that it all goes together. Life is a bit like a roller coaster. One analogy, not a perfect one. 
But in our lives, we are going to have hills and valleys and scary turns and loop-de-loops and all of the things that you find on a roller coaster. And you have a choice when you ride a roller coaster. As long as you're strapped in well. You can ride that roller coaster with white knuckles or you can ride it with open hands. You can have a whee or a whoa. But the roller coaster eventually comes back into the dock and you're safe. I've seen a lot of people ride the first time with clenched fists and then they get back into the, the place and they look around and they realize they're safe and say, let's do it again. There's a lot of the ways we have to you know, react in our lives. But see, the truth of God sets us free from the white-knuckled life, from the anxious life. The means of God grow us in being setting, set free to rejoicing and to faithfulness. I know we went to Six Flags Over Georgia one year and there's a ride called the Superman. And as we were getting on the Superman, we're all being, the bar comes down, you know, and makes you uncomfortable. It's holding you in so tight. Right before the ride took off, my son pushed on the bar and it came open. And he immediately pulled it back and it snapped into place. What we didn't know, it, they would make you fly. What we didn't know is that as soon as you went up this way, everything was locked into place. So I, I have to tell you, at least that first time, we didn't ride that ride with a lot of joy because all of us thought, we're going to get halfway around this thing and fall out. Never happened. If we'd, had, if we'd have been focused on the truth of how that thing was designed, we'd have had a whole lot more peace. Focusing on the truth of who our God is will give us a lot more peace as we walk through the life. Drawing near to Him. Walking with Him. Trusting Him. Knowing Him. All of the things put forward. And I encourage you, go back and read this text and dig into it more deeply and look into the details and we'll help you with that. But the more we, we like to use the word master, but the more we grow in our grip on His grace and on these things, the better we're going to walk in a way. That honors him. So look at, looking again at 4, 4 through 9, and think about it this way. The externals of a God-centered life, the, what other people see. If we're walking in a, in a God-centered way, what other people are going to see in our lives is a life of joy. And when we go through things like this coronavirus and we still have joy, then some people, by God's grace and his working, are going to wonder how you do that. But one of the externals is a life of joy. And the other one is a life of faithfulness. Being Rocks in the midst of trouble. And those externals then are what that, what people see are produced by what are the internals in this text. A life of drawing close to our God through prayer and drawing close to our God through His Word. Prayer and the knowledge of God leads to rejoicing and faithfulness and to His glory and to our peace. So, finishing up, how is your rejoicing? How is your rejoicing right now? How is your rejoicing in the midst of this difficulty um, of COVID-19 or the coronavirus or the epidemic? However, however you want to think about that. Are you walking with joy in the midst of this? Right? You're remembering the present tense commands. 
We are always to be rejoicing. Our God is big enough and his gospel is big enough. So how's your rejoicing and how's your faithfulness? See, in Christ, we should be a joyfully obedient people. The obedience that flows from faith, Paul says. Growing in grace. We not only have justification in the Christian life, we have sanctification or growth in grace. We've not only been declared righteous and accepted and reconciled and secure in Christ, but we have a call to grow, to be more like Him. Are you walking in obedience to the truth of His God, of your God, His commands, His instructions? Are you walking in a love of God, in a love of neighbor, in a love of brother and sister in Christ so that there's unity in your heart because of Christ and unity in your life and your expression. See, one of the things that a thing like this coronavirus can do is create disunity because we're not all in the same place on how we interpret life and we can take hard stances in places. I heard one preacher say we have Romans Christians and Proverbs Christians. You know, Romans, Christians, and he's just using that as an illustration would be more like people. Are, What's wrong with you people? Just trust in God. There's no big deal. There's nothing going on. We're, we're fine. We don't, this shouldn't, in, you know, change the way we live. And then you have Proverbs Christians who are saying, no, but there's wisdom. We should walk through this in wisdom and, you know, and apply God's principles and see that we're being sound in our wisdom. And just the one thing the pastor said was what I want you to know is both Romans and Proverbs are in the Bible. We're to walk and rest in peace and not let this thing shake us, right? In one sense, it shouldn't change the way that we live because we are still walking, trusting in our God. But there's also a right way to walk through it, which is in accord with his wisdom. So um, I'll share one verse with you if I can find it in my notes. But uh, Proverbs 22, 3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself. The prudent sees danger and makes plans and responds to it. The prudent sees danger and hides himself. The simple go on and suffer for it. So none of us want to be simple. None of us want to be foolish. We all want to walk in faith and trust. And we have different opinions of what that should look like in the life. But in Christ, the gospel is big enough for us to be able to walk together in unity Learn from one another, grow in grace, encourage one another. Are you encouraging the Christians around you during this time? Are you walking in love of God, love of neighbor, love of one another? The better we know our God, the more we will commune with him and walk with him. The more and more diminished our anxiety will be. And the more constant our rejoicing will be. We have a good formula here for walking in faith through rejoicing, through faithfulness, because we're people of prayer and people who know their God and his grace through his word. We've been perfected in love. The virus and the response to it is giving us time that we don't normally have. Time to seek our God. Time to get to know our God through His Word. Time for prayer individually and as families. Entrusting our cares to Him. Time to be intentional about our walk with Him. Time to reach out to one another and Skype with one another and FaceTime with one another and Zoom with one another and and have live streams 
all looking forward to the day when we can get back together in person. And we are evaluating that again on a, on a weekly basis. So listen, back to our opening and illustration. There's no need for panic buying. Our God will supply all of our needs. Be wise, but don't overdo. Don't freak out if the toilet paper's gone <laughs> or if for any other earthly reason. Your God is still on the throne. He delights to hear your prayers. His spirit is conforming you into the image of his son. And he, he works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Prioritize his kingdom and trust he will provide all of your needs and seek to walk in the faithfulness that we've looked at in this text. See, one day, go read Revelation 21. One day we will no longer have to deal with the struggles of this fallen world. We will spend eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth. There'll be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more viruses and no more anxiety because he will have made all things new. But until he does that, he calls us to faith and faithfulness to walking with him. And the things that we see in this text I'll point you to another text I want you to meditate on. The things that we see in this text, we also see in Matthew chapter 6. So let me, I'm just going to read that and I'm done. But I want, to, I want to read Matthew 6, 25 to the end of the chapter, and then I'm going to pray. But may God bless us and empower us to be people who walk with a constant rejoicing and a growing in it, and a constant faithfulness and a growing in it because He's made us people of prayer and of knowing our God through His Word and His grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says this to us in the midst of all trials. I would encourage you to meditate on this text as well. Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, not, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for Himself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, I want to 
personally and, and publicly, thank you for this trial. I want to thank you for all the inconveniences of this trial. I want to thank you for the hardship associated with this trial. I want to thank you for the fruit that you're producing through this trial in your church and in our individual lives. It tests us. Lord, are we walking in faith? Or are we walking by sight? Lord, your word goes all the way to the heart and it, it tests us and, and it asks us if we're trusting you. Our anxiety shows us the places we're not trusting you. Anxiety flows from unbelief. Help us to be people, people of faith. Help us to grow in it. Help us to take serious out of love for you because of your grace to us in Christ. To take serious your call to us to be people of prayer. To be people of your word. And therefore people who rejoice in the midst of difficulty. Who love one another in the midst of difficulty. Who love neighbor in the midst of difficulty. Who are light and salt for you. Lord, may this, <clears throat> may this enhance your church's witness for you. And not quell it. May we be faithful. Because you are faithful. We know we love you because you first loved us. And it is your love that comforts us in the midst of our difficulty. So help us to look to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling, who are sick, who are vulnerable. Um, help them to rest in you. For those of us who are young and strong and feel invincible, help us to be wise. In our, in, our, in our approach to this trial, Lord, help us to think with a mindset that not only considers our own needs, but the needs of others. To love one another. To grow in grace. To be light and salt. To know that this too will pass. So we look to you this morning and thank you for this trial, we pray for you to grow us in grace through it. We know that you will do that. We pray that you would make us devoted to your word, that we would be a faithful people, and that we would be a constantly rejoicing people because our sovereign God is in control, has sacrificed his son to save us, and promises to take us all the way home. Lord, you are real with us in your word. You tell us that that in this world we will have trouble, that everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, that things won't be easy, but they will be fruitful. So work in us what is pleasing in your sight as a church and as individual people. And Lord, those who do not know you, call them to faith. I pray that people even this morning would be turning and trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, not their works and not anything else but in Christ alone, and that they too could experience the glory of your salvation in Christ, the freedom that it brings, the knowledge that we are. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And those of us who know you, may you grow us in grace as we walk through this trial. For we praise and thank you. We ask it all in Jesus' name, looking to you. Amen.